I'm a music fan. Uh, I, I grew up a, an Eagles fan. Uh, Don Henley grew up in my hometown, so it was kind of mandated that you had to learn uh, Eagles songs. Uh, I think one of the, the saddest times in the history of that little town was whenever the band broke up. Um, we're still not sure who to, who to blame, but pretty much think it's Glenn Fry. But that's a totally different conversation altogether if you're an Eagles fan or not. Uh, nonetheless, though, big Eagles fan. Uh, my brother used to play the guitar and sing. We used to uh, sing uh, a lot um, whenever I wasn't on a microphone, so that was a good thing. Uh, went to an Eagles concert a couple years ago with some friends from the church. Um, kind of snuck my way in there by guilting them into taking the pastor to go see that because they didn't think he would actually enjoy that. He did. Uh, he would also enjoy going again, just, you know, putting that out there. Uh, uh, John Mayer, however, <laughs> that's a different story altogether. I actually like John Mayer. I like a lot of different songs, but let's, let's throw a couple of songs out there for you. Just I want you to think about for a second, especially those of you who are at home right now, and if you want to jump online here and just say hello to our friends who are at home, you're welcome to do that on our Facebook page. Um, but I just want you to think for a second about some of those songs that really just kind of stick, those, those, uh, those earwigs, right? And I'll give you a, a list of a couple of them, and, and, and maybe they'll bring you back. Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, that one just kind of gets in there. I mean, you, you see both the song, and then you see the, the Wayne's World where they're in the back seat, you know, headbanging, all that good stuff. Um, how about uh, Don't Stop Believing, a journey? I mean, how do you go wrong with journey, right? I mean, let's, let's take out the Quentin years and just go back to journey, but that's a different story altogether too, right? Um, how about uh, Sweet Caroline? Bop, bop, bop. You know, you know, right? I mean, this is great. I mean, I could throw out a, a, a scripture here in a minute. Y'all won't get it, but you'll get that one. It's kind of cool, huh? I'm picking on you a little bit this morning. How about uh, Build Me Up Buttercup? This is on the list of the top karaoke songs to sing. Uh, you won't find me doing that. Ring of Fire, a good Johnny Cash song. Uh, that, that goes back a ways, right? How about this one for some of you who have children at home with Disney? Let It Go. Let It Go. The little, the little uh, is a snowman. And the, anyway, I don't know who's doing that. A Whole New World, for those of you who are a little older in the Disney uh, filled with promise, can she paint with all the colors of the wind? I think is that you know it's been a while. Right? I'm mixing songs. I'm not ashamed of that. Okay, um, how about "Come On Eileen" by Dexys Midnight? Wrote. Uh, I don't know what that song actually means, but my mother-in-law's name is Eileen, so I always think about her whenever that song comes on. Um, uh, how about uh, "Hey Jude"? I mean, that's one you can sing along with. Just going down the road, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you catch yourself. Right? I mean, if you know that song at all. Uh, YMCA, you know, you probably shouldn't do the hand motions while you're driving, but that's another one of those driving songs. Uh, I Will Survive, uh, that's, a, that's a good song. It kind of sticks in there, right, too. I mean, some of y'all are like, you're, how about Sweet Home Alabama? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's good music, right, for, for some of us. John Denver's Country Roads. Yeah, John, just John Denver, right? Am I the only one? Here's one for you, and this is universally accepted as one of the greatest duets of all time. Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, right? Um, how, how, about, how about Garth Brooks' Friends in Low Places? You know, I mean, these are songs, whether you agree with the lyrics or not, or even know what the lyrics say or not, and I didn't get into some of the more rock and roll sort of stuff, because I, I know some of y'all, and you, you wouldn't get that at all. But there's something about music that just kind of reminds us of a place or time, takes us back to a place or time, and there's just something that kind of sticks in us. Now, throughout the scripture, you'll find several different places where there's, there's a lot of music and there's a lot of songs. Moses actually writes his song after he's had an encounter with God, and it's a good way for him to remember what was said and done and what was promised and to pass it on to the next generation. And they would sing songs as they would go. Mary actually wrote a song after she was approached by the angels telling her that she's going to carry the Savior of all mankind, and she pondered 
pondered these things in her heart and treasured them, and she wrote down this song, and she probably sang it from time to time. Uh, I'm going to be the mother of Jesus, do thou. I mean, I don't know what she sang, right? I'm not sure how the tune went, but um, she had this song that, that reminded her, and we, we actually do teach a lot in song. We used to a lot more than what we do, but it's amazing what you catch and remember in song. Some of you are more traditionalist, and you remember the old hymns. And the old hymns taught not only good theology, but they just kind of stuck, right? And they were just good songs to remember. Some of you are a little younger, and you like the praise and worship, and it's great. I love that we say 100,000 times that God is good, okay? I think that's great, just over and over and over again. Because He is, and that doesn't change. But there's just something about a song that just kind of piles in, right? It just kind of sticks with us a little bit. And, and many times, the songs that really stick with us and teach us good lessons are, are the ballads and the laments. The ones that just kind of get a, maybe a little darker, a little more solemn, a little more raw emotionally, perhaps. Some of you probably have some of those songs that you kind of go back to. You, you, you kind of maybe ha- not having the day that you wished you had, or, 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 or maybe you're just kind of wanting to stay in that funk just a little bit, so you kind of go back to that music and play it. I mean, I, I've been listening to 95.7 now, and, and, and I don't know why that is. I think it's because I'm approaching my mid-40s, um, and that's just kind of my music. I've, I've not switched over to 99.1 yet. Uh, I guess I'm getting there. I don't know. But there's just something about that style of music and that genre and that time period takes me back to that time, to that place. When I was a kid, when things were simpler, my brother sat on the porch playing the guitar and we sang Eagle songs out of, out of key. Those were good memories for me. Those were good times for me. Um, I still love to hear my brother play and sing. But those ballads and those laments... I think Ring of Fire is probably one of those. If you ever read the story behind some of that, you know why Johnny Cash wrote some of those songs. I mean, actually, some of the, the reasons why Johnny Cash wrote a lot of his songs were pretty frightening, um, pretty scary. I mean, he, 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 he made some really bad choices. And then he said, let me write these down. Taylor Swift, same thing. Whoever she's dated, bad song coming right in behind that, right? We seem to, to, to immortalize things with song. And so this morning, I, I want to encourage you that as, as we look towards those ballads and those laments and those songs, I want to remind you what our memory verse is for, for this month, and it's Psalm 5110. And we're going we're, we're gonna to say that again together because I just love to hear you say that out loud. You've already sang with me this morning. Now recite with me this morning. Psalm 5110, create in me. Man, would you just say that prayerfully? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes worship, that's why we worship before we, we open up the scriptures. We're, we're trying to lead people to a worshipful place so that they're both um, uh, receptive to the message of God. They're, they're, they're incorporated with other people who are singing high praises to the one true God, but they're also preparing to receive from God what he may have to say that day. And so this morning, I pray that as we, as we ask God to create in us a, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us, that it will be a, a joyful song, but we have to understand where we come from in order to, to get to that place. If you have your Bible with you, I, w- I want you to turn with me to Psalm 40. And Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, is what we're going to look at primarily this morning. It's one of my favorite passages of scriptures. This is a, a lament of David. Uh, David being the man after God's own heart, David being the second king of all of Israel, David being the father of Solomon, David the one who uh, gathered all the resources in order to build the temple but could not build the temple because he had blood on his hands. He was a king at war, and God said no. Uh, David who killed the the lion and killed the the bear with the sling. David who cut off Goliath's head with with Goliath's own sword. 
um, David, who was the, the youngest runt of all those, this, this was David. David, the, the one who saw Bathsheba from across the mountain, or the, 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 the tops of the, of the homes, and he called her out. David, who led her husband into battle to be killed. David, the adulterer. David, the one that mourned and tore his clothes whenever his, his son with, with uh, uh, Bathsheba was, was taken. As God told him, there was nothing you can do to stop this from happening. David, who danced around almost naked, and his, his wife, Michael, was giving him a hard time about that. And he says, I've not yet begun to defile myself before my God. This is one of David's lament in Psalm 40. And so Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, says this. He, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. Making my steps secure, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This three verses here talks a lot about our everyday life. It talks a lot about David's life. And there are three places I want to show you that are, that are spelled out in these three. And the first place is the pit. Now, we don't know what David had done. We're not sure what discretion he had done this time. Whatever it was, it is highly likely that whatever David had done, not only was he terribly mortified by it personally, but publicly everybody saw his suffering. They saw his foolishness. They may have even known exactly what he had done. And as they watched him, the king, mourn and whine and cry and wail and call for fast and kill all these animals and do all kinds of things and just whine and cry and, and throw a pity party. As they watched this, they probably very likely knew exactly what David had done. And as they watched him do these things, they realized that David was in a pit. And most likely, as, as, as the, the tense of how this is written, is that David was in a, in a pit of destruction by his own doing. That for whatever reason he was in the pit, it was his fault. And he knew it. Now, he may not have gotten there immediately, but he did eventually get there. You, you ever get there? You ever stop and look at your circumstances and your surroundings and go, you know what, I can blame a whole lot of people, but the bottom line is I put myself in this really bad spot because I made a couple of really bad decisions. This is my pit. For some folks, they embrace their pit because they realize that the pit is the final destination. This is where I'm going to stay right here. I did this to myself, I'm going to stay right here. But for David, he said, I did this to myself. I cannot get myself out of here, but I know the one who can. But I know the one who can. And it wasn't enough just for David to ask for help or to cry out. What was enough was because as David cried out that word incline, it gives us this impression as if God leaned down into David's pit, into his destruction, into his dark place, into the, 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 the cauldron of really bad decisions. God leaned into David and he said, I'm here, I can hear you. What are you doing back there? Are you ready to ask for help? Have you figured out you can't get out of there on your own yet? I almost think that in some ways that pit's kind of like singing in the shower, right? You like the way you sound, but boy, when you get out of that shower, nobody else does. And it echoes and reverberates all over the place. And David's in this pit, and all the community's watching David wallow in this pit, in this mire, and this slime, and this muck. And it's that constant thing. He's like, it's, he's, he's crawling in quicksand, and he just can't get out. He just can't get out. He just can't get out. Are you there? Have you been there? Have you given up and just succumbed to the mud and the muck and just said, this is my lot in life and nothing's going to change? Or have you said, you know what, I can't get myself out of this, but I know the one who can. And believe it or not, he's leaning in and listening. 
David waited patiently on the Lord. And he inclined to him. What's your pit today? What's your pit? Do you have pity parties sometimes? But what God did next was really amazing. And not only did David get a chance to see it, but everybody else did. It says here that he drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, upon firm foundations, upon the place by which it is completely opposite from the mud and the bog and the slime and everything else. It was solid, and God put him up, and it was most likely elevated. And he set my feet upon the rock, and he said, You stand right here, David, king of all of Israel. You stand right here, David, the the leader of all the nation. You stand right here, David, and you let everyone look at you and let them realize who put you on this rock. You did not do this yourself. I did. He did pulled me up out of the bog and out of the miry clay and placed my feet upon the rock. He gave him firm foundations, a place to stand where he wasn't worried about whatever came next was going to take him out. David said, I was finally standing not where I wanted to be standing, but where God wanted me to stand. And once I stood where God wanted me to stand, where he placed me, I liked where I was standing. It was a good place. I didn't worry about all the bog and the mess and the yuck and whatever mistake I had made. It was gone in God's eyes. And the rest of the people could still watch it, and it didn't matter because God said, you know what, I rescued you out of there. I heard your cry. I inclined to you. I pulled you up out of the bog and the mire, and I set your feet upon the rock. And look what he says next. He made my steps secure, and he put a new song in my mouth. He put a new song in my mouth. You ever pass a cop speeding? You ever meet one knowing you deserve a ticket? You ever sing a little song after you you got out of that one? You have a new song in your mouth whenever you got away with one? You have a new song of rejoicing whenever the situation that you thought was just absolutely terrible and was fully out of your control once you accepted the reality of that fact? that God had all things in his plan and had power over whatever your issues were. And when he did so, he put a new song in your mouth. He didn't just put a new song in David's mouth or in our mouths when we get out of this situation just to make us feel a little better, for us to whistle while we work or to go on about our day. He didn't just do that for our sake. He did that as as the end of verse 3 says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. All those people watched David wallow around in whatever his mess was. And as the leader, whatever his mess was, was impacting all of them. And maybe they had compassion for him, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they struggled with David, and maybe they didn't. Maybe they looked at David and said, you know what, here's the good thing about this. David's not above the law. He's not above reproach. If he messes up just like any of us, God does to him exactly what the rest of us get to. Good for him. He deserved that. But when God pulled him up out of that bog and put him on firm foundations and his feet on a rock and he stood firm and secure, he put a new song in David's mouth so that all people would hear what God had done in David's life and they would fear God and they would rejoice. Let me ask you something, folks. What song are you singing? Is your life hard? I'm not talking comparatively. Because you start comparing with everybody else's life, your your life's probably not that bad. But when you get down to it and you're just evaluating yourself and where you are and what's going on, is your life hard? Are you in a pit? Do you see the rock but realize that you don't deserve to stand on it until God puts you there? Are you singing the old song, the old pity party? 
You see, for David, the new song that God put into his life was a response to God's goodness. And in the response to God's goodness, it was the message that God had given David to say that God is bigger than whatever your problems are. He does not look at your problems as small because he realizes that they're your problems and they're real to you and they're big to you. And it doesn't matter how big or small you may think they are, our God is bigger than whatever problem you have. And until you sing that new song, I wonder if maybe you kind of like the mud and the bog back there a little more than what you should have. What song are you singing? What are you putting in and pushing out? You see, for David, he was a witness to all the people who watched what God has done. Just like those of you who have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a witness to all of those to see what God has done in your life. And if you're singing the wrong song, if you're singing a song of lament and a song of, of, of frustration and a song of anger and a song of, 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 of selfishness instead of the songs of joy and the songs of hope and the songs of God, then you are singing the wrong song. And I'm not totally sure you've really been delivered from the pit, and I'm not totally sure you want to be delivered from the pit because you may like it just a little too much. For many people who find coming to Christianity a hard thing, they often will say the same thing. If God only knew half of the things that I did, God knows absolutely everything that you have done. And it only takes one thing for him to do to fix all that. And that was send his son to the cross. You want to talk about pull people out of the pit, Jesus did it with two hands. And he stood upon a rock called Golgotha, the place of the skull firm for all people to see and a new song was saying that day it is finished maybe you're in need of a new song my guess is you are not just for all of your life but just today I need a new song see the reason why we need a new song and the reason why you need to evaluate what your song is is because you need to see that first and foremost there's always someone listening to your song Parents, you know this better than anybody. You, you remember that song, Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch? What the, how's the rest of that go? There's always someone watching you. That's another old 80s song, right? Private eyes, they're watching you. Hey, listen, we're in 2020. There's a camera everywhere. Everywhere. I don't know how many times people have already been judged and executed via the ring doorbell in my community. I, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, every time I pull up something, there's another ring this, another ring this, another ring this. I'm like, hey, that's the mailman. He's just putting mail in the box. Oh, yeah, but he, he set off my ring alarm. Someone is always watching us. Someone is always listening to the things that we say. Believe it or not, parents, let me give you a little encouragement. You may think that your kids aren't listening to you, but, boy, step out of out of that line of what you said before, and they're going to throw that back in your face. They were listening. They were just storing that one up for another day. Someone's always listening to you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me again to Romans chapter 15. We're going to put it on the screen, but Romans chapter 15. I want to look at a couple of verses in here and show you what I'm talking about, that someone's always listening. Romans chapter 15, if you'll notice, comes right after Romans chapter 14, which makes a lot of sense if you can count. 
But out of Romans chapter 14, what we actually see is at the very end of that, we talk about uh, stumbling blocks. Romans 14 talks about not putting stumbling blocks in front of people. And the very end of Romans chapter 14 actually speaks of those of you who are mature in Christ having an opinion and holding that opinion that is in line with your behaviors. And so if you have an opinion, you should act according to that opinion, and to not do so is sinful. But likewise, not to take your opinion and force it upon others in such a way that you have become so self-righteous that you are actually causing them to sin that way because you are oppressing them by your opinion because you're more mature. And then we roll right into Romans chapter 15, and this is what we see in Romans chapter 15. And Paul writes to us in the first three verses, he says this. He, he says someone's always listening. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You know, friends, as a Christ follower, I can do pretty much anything I want. Paul will say in other places in Scripture that he wrote that everything's permissible, but not everything's a good idea. Everything's allowed, but not everything's really something I should do. And he's speaking to me about my personal maturity, saying, listen, sometimes you have to be mature enough to say, I'm not going to do that because someone's listening, because someone's watching, because it really doesn't benefit the kingdom. While I can do that and my salvation is secured, it's not going to really reflect what God wants for me or what God has done for me or the pit God has pulled me out of or the rock he has placed me upon. But I can actually do that because God doesn't just want me to be some sort of automaton where he dictates and controls everything with me. He allows me to make decisions, but he's asking me to make decisions not just based upon he, uh, my relationship with him, but others who are watching and listening to me and the influence that I have on others. And so when I remember that other people are listening, it's important for me to know that if I am truly strong and I think I'm strong, then I have an obligation, the big word, and I really love it, to bear with the failings of others. If the song you're singing is in constant criticism of the failings of others, I just might caution you about changing your song. Turn the dial. Change genres. Because you may be absolutely right that they are cotton-headed ninny muffins and they don't know what they're doing and they're making really bad decisions. And if they only knew how this looked and everything, you're, you're probably right about that, but it doesn't matter. And I'm not saying be permissive of that activity and that behavior, but I'm saying look at them and just say, you know what? It's not just pity that I have for you. It's a longing that I have for you to know the God who rescued me out of my pit, and I hope he'll rescue you out of yours. But as long as I'm singing the wrong song, I'm still singing the song of the pit, not the song on the rock. And as long as I keep singing that as one who is strong, my obligation is being unfulfilled and let go, and I'm creating in those who are weaker than me the opportunity to continue to behave that way and more so. Many years ago, I, I read an article that I, I really spoke highly to me. I no longer drink alcohol. I haven't in, in probably 15 years or close to it. I don't have an issue with alcohol for other people consuming alcohol. I have an absolute issue with drunkenness and stupidity. The scripture speaks clearly about that. But for me, what I understand is that God has called me to a life of joy, and alcohol is a depressant. God didn't call me to that. Secondly, I know what I do in moderation. My children will do in excess. And I remember what I did in excess, and I don't want my children to do the same thing. And please excuse me for a moment, but as my church, I look at you sometimes as children that God has given to me to watch over. And so I live an example or try to live an example so that I don't push you to do more than I would because you think it's permissible. Because I have an obligation to bear with the failings of those who are weaker than me. And I take that seriously. And I don't want to see my own children make really bad decisions like I did at their age.
And so I give up some of my choices and my decisions because I look out for them. And I don't resent my children for it at all. In fact, I lament having to be in that position to begin with. Someone is always listening. And what we do in moderation, others who are weaker than us will do in excess. And I have to be aware of my song. I have to be aware of what I'm singing. I have to be aware of those who have tuned into my channel for whatever the case may be, that I'm exalting the Lord God Almighty, not exalting my own agenda regardless of what that may be. Because let's be honest, as a human being, my agenda is not always focused on Christ. It ought to be, and I wish that it were, but I'm not going to lie to you today and say that it is. I need that new song. I need that new song, and I'm only going to find it from him. Now, some of you remember this just a couple of moments ago, but you know the classics never really grow old, do they? I mean, I like some of the old songs. I was, uh, my daughter and I were listening to Sam Cooke the other day, uh, and I didn't realize, some of you all know who Sam Cooke is. I didn't realize that Sam Cooke's uh, death was actually controversial. I didn't know anything about it. I just remember that he sang a song called We're Having a Party, and then Rod Stewart covered it. I think Rod Stewart's was better, but we can debate that later. Sam Cooke had a lot of great songs. It was a classic. It was an oldie. Some of you remember some of those songs. They just don't make music like they used to, did they? Some of you all say that on Sunday mornings. You know that's true. But look what Romans 15.4 says right after what we just read. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Friends, the classics never grow old. Whatever was written for us in past generations, no matter how old the Bible was, for those who say the Bible's been translated so many times that it's lost its meaning, that it's just an excuse to not follow the reference to what God has said, that I've preserved my word so that many generations will be able to continue to have a relationship with me. And for those in today's world who are looking for new revelation from God, I got news for you. You will never see new revelation from God until you understand the old revelation from God. And it does not change. And he's not going to give us a new interpretation all of a sudden or something new that he hasn't done before. Anything that God does, we should be able to validate in Scripture. And if we can't validate in Scripture, we should be cautious of that. Because the classics never grow old. But the problem is, just like every generation, they don't go back and look at the classics. But if you know music at all, if you know anything about music at all, what you'll know is that every single musical component that has ever been written goes back to the same series of eight notes called a scale. And all of these scales are played in different ways, whether they're chromatic or whatever the case may be. They're played in different ways, and certain songs uh, align with one another, certain notes align with one another, and certain minors and majors and all these things. And there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Nothing. It's just arranged a little bit differently. The problem is that music is actually very true. You can't force notes that don't go along with one another to go along with one another. They don't. You can't make it sound good. It doesn't. We've been trying to bend Scripture to our will for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. We've been trying to twist what God has said a long time ago. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, over and over and over again. We've been trying to make today's world permissible because we think those old archaic ways are no longer valid in today's world. The sad truth is, is that you're looking for something new when something old was so much better and still so much truer. And honestly, a whole lot easier than trying to reinvent the wheel. Classics never grow old. Today, whether it be music, television, small screen, 
whatever streaming device or whatever the case may be, you are being influenced by someone or something almost 24-7. Every one of us are. We are all being influenced by something or someone. And my question would be, is, is that something scripture? Is it those scriptures of old that were given to us so that we might have hope? Our primary influence ought to be God's word. We ought to be seeking God's face, not Facebook. We ought to be looking for what God has already said on the matter, not what 400,000 people have already watched and liked. It could be 300 million for all I care, but the one true God has already spoken on the matter. And we have managed to get that wrong time and time and time again by choice. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. We have made decisions to not trust in God and to turn away from the scriptures and to not understand that the classics never grow old. And social media, especially in today's day and age, is not only ruining your life, it is stealing it from you. I like to get on there. I laugh my heart out sometimes when I see some really dumb things. I like those Pollo Rose uh, banners that they put up there. They make me laugh. But man, I start watching some of the things that people start posting and I start looking and I go and I look at their pages. Are, are y'all like this? Maybe I'm a stalker. Y'all should probably start praying for me now. But I'll see somebody post something and I'm like, I wonder who that person is. And I'll click on their page and I'll go back there and they'll say God follower, uh, Christian, uh, uh, Bible study leader, whatever the case may be. And, and I look at that and I'm like, how did you post that? Well, what, what, where, where do those two? It's like playing two notes that are not in the same scale. They do not go together. Oh, I've got a compartmentalized lifestyle. We're singing the wrong song, friend. When he pulls you up out of the pit and he puts you on the rock, he didn't just do that to save you. He did that to save others through you so that you could sing a new song. Finally, our song should invite, not ignite. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me on this, but then again, it is 2021. We are probably the most polarized and divided as a people as we have ever been in the history of mankind. And it's funny, because I don't have a better expression for it. It's funny that we can click a button and manage to just upset a whole lot of people fast. For the record, not a fan of censorship on any level. For the record, I don't want my kids or my wife or other people to see things because you think you have the right to see it. Do I straddle the fence on that? Not as much as you may think, but I can tell you this. The problem with the argument of censorship in my mind, and this is my opinion, the problem with it today is that somebody has decided that you're too dumb, too stupid, or too enabled to turn it off yourself, to ignore it, and to move on with your life. And so somebody's going to do it for you, and they may actually be right about it. They may actually be right about it. Because your song should invite, not ignite. And if your song is busy igniting things, then we take that passage where, where Jesus says, you should love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And we stop because we engage our emotions. We get our heart pumping. 
and then we engage our mouth, but somehow bypass our brain, and we don't think logically for a moment. We don't have good conversations for a moment. We misunderstand that just because I'm excited about something, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated, and I'm fired up, and I got a whole bunch of anonymous people behind me who are pushing my agenda, I'm apparently right all of a sudden because a whole lot of people agreed with me. I, I gotta tell you something. They're just as angry and mad and confused and in the pit with you, and y'all like the song you're singing down there because the acoustics are good. It's time to get a new song, friends. It is time for evangelical America. It is time for evangelicals everywhere. It's time for anybody who claims the name of Christ to sing a new song. Because this one's not only getting tired and old, it's getting angry and frustrating and is leading people right back into their own pit into the depths of a real place called hell where salvation is not for them because they have rejected it because they didn't hear the truth. They heard your version of it. It's time to sing a new song, friends. Romans chapter 5, 15, verse 5 through 7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. The God of endurance. I wonder what he's enduring. You. He is enduring you and your nonsense. Not just the things you say in post, the things you think. He is enduring you because it is a labor of love. But he's also encouraging you. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live, listen to this, in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do you need a new song? Are you singing ballads and laments? Are you singing funeral dirges? Does the voice that you have that people recognize, is that one that invites or ignites? Is it calling people to live in harmony? If you know anything about music, you know that harmony comes in parts. It's where you step from one scale down to the other, and you both sing them together. Wherever it is possible for you to live in harmony with one another, that might mean you have to put your agenda aside a little bit. Paul's not saying this, and nor am I, that we are calling for uniformity. But what we are calling is for us to be united under the banner of Christ because he is the one who saves us. And quite frankly, just as David was in the pit, he needed saving from himself. What about you? Do you need saving from yourself? Do you like how you sound? Do you like the song that you sing in your pit? What song are you singing? What song do people hear you singing? If you serve a God of endurance and encouragement, shouldn't you look like that same God? Shouldn't you bear with the failings of the weak and build them up to encourage them in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome them just as Christ has welcomed you? I got news for you. I don't think Jesus liked the song you were singing whenever he first met you, but he liked you. I waited patiently for the Lord. It is time to me to hear my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure.
we put a new song in our mouth. A song of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I sure want to hear that song. I want to sing that song. I want that to be my life song. What about you? Will you pray with me this morning? Father, our song should be influenced more and more each and every day by your word, not by the world's rhetoric. Father, we need a new song. We need the right words in the right way, in the right place, in the right time. Father, we need to make sure that people are hearing encouragement and truth. Father, I can confess for myself that I don't always sing the right song. And sometimes it's veiled in sarcasm, fear. But Lord, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I keep hitting repeat and listening to the same old stuff instead of going back to the scriptures of old that were saved for me so that I might have hope. I pray that over everyone that's listening this morning you'd get your new song and you'd have hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. I asked Lance if he knew this song and he kind of snickered. He's like, yeah, man, I'm as old as you are. I want you to stand